This is a download from Force Migration Online. To find out more, please go to www.forcemigration.org. Someone who comes very much from the environmental side of this debate, rather than originally from the displacement or the migration side, where up to now we've really had the emphasis of perspectives coming from that human mobility side. But also a dimension which places the emphasis on critical race theory and introducing it to look at this debate from a critical perspective. Andrew um, has been not only a lecturer in Durham, but has also held academic positions at the University of Manchester and Queen's University in Canada. He's published extremely widely on biopolitics and the relationship between governmentality and the environment. And he's embarked very recently on sharing and organizing an international collaborative project that's starting to look critically at a number of perspectives on environmental migration. So it's wonderful to have you here. I'm mean, looking forward to hearing from you. Yeah. Uh, well, thank you, Alex, um, both for inviting me and for organizing the seminar series. It's, a, I think, a very important topic and certainly a very topical topic. It's undergoing something of a renaissance, I think, in the last, well, probably since the early 2000s. Um, and I like that this is a seminar series on critical approaches, and that's actually one of the reasons why I became interested in the issue area, was precisely that there was, it seemed to me, an absence of critical thinking ongoing in the debate. The debate tended to be form tends to be formulated through uh, normative political theory, well, you know, normative policy, normative politics, normative political theory, and empirically um, through the environmental sciences, are very little in the way of critical interrogation from a range of different social science perspectives. So it's really wonderful to have the series. Um, and that's partly the reason why um, I started this international network that's um, working now on uh, developing some of the social science around climate change and migration in particular. Um, anyway, so you can appreciate my enthusiasm when Alex and I spoke on the phone and he suggested I come down and speak to you. Um, so I have a sort of <clears throat> smattering of thoughts that are more than just idle and random, but quite a bit less than a fully formed paper. Um, and what I'll do is I'll just, I'll just read it. That's my style. Um, so with all of that in mind, I'd like to start by posing the question, and this is probably a question that the others have posed as well, and that is, what does it mean to adopt a critical approach, uh, in my instance, to climate change and migration? To answer this question, consider for a moment the predominant form that critique takes in climate change and migration discourse. I would, argue, I would suggest that the predominant critique of environmental, of climate change and migration discourse takes the form of a disaffiliation from an ontology based on the friend-enemy distinction. So for instance, we find this ontology primarily in, oh, let's get this to work. Ah, oh, I'm sorry. There we go. 
Um, we find this ontology primarily in political rhetorics that frame climate change and migration or displacement in the language of security. So for example, the Center for American Progress has recently posed the problem of, of what it calls the arc of tension, which is essentially that the combined effects of climate change, northward migrations through West Africa, and existing political conflicts in North, in North Africa pose significant international security threats and put, increasing, and put increased migratory pressure on European borders. I think a similar kind of ontology that's just a, a, an image that's taken out of this recent publication. I'm sure some of you have seen it, of the arc of tension. It's, um, it's actually not a very good image now that I think about it, but it's, but it's essentially um, uh, West Africa, yeah, West North Africa. Like a similar ontology is found in this American film called Climate Refugees. Um, just, I'm curious to know how many in the room have seen this film. It, aired, it screened... Um, for the first time, I think at uh, COP, the Copenhagen uh, COP. <clears throat> anyway, it's quite an interesting film. Um, American produced, uh, and, and quite interestingly, um, produces climate change and migration, the climate refugee problem, um, as sort of a an American project, if you will, something that will galvanize American political identity at a moment when it's in crisis and bipartisan and so on. Anyway, in both instances, the climate change migrant is made to represent the excess of political order, which in turn necessitates some form of defensive response. So I would argue that the most pervasive critique in discourses on climate change and migration are formed against this kind of geopolitical reasoning. This is a critique that displaces the migrant as threat thesis in favor of a rights-based conceptualization of the migrant. An excellent example of this critique is found in Gregory White's book, uh, recently published by Oxford University Press in 2011, Climate Change and Migration, Security and Borders in a Warming World, in which White argues quote, uh, against a security-minded response to climate change-induced migration, and in favor of a more nuanced, constructive approach to climate-induced migration, one that emphasizes improved governance and a focus on development and climate initiatives. I think other examples of the same kind of mode of thinking can be found in recent work by Neil Adger, as well as the UK Foresight Report on Migration and Global Environmental Change. And in case you're interested, the, the opening paragraph of the comment piece that was published in Nature following the release of the Foresight Report enacts, enacts precisely this liberal critique. So what are the general contours of this liberal critique? Well, its main contention, I think, is that the rhetoric of climate change-induced migration, so the rhetoric of threat, fear, danger, conflict, and so on, on the one hand, and the empirical reality, on the other, are misaligned. So the liberal critique presents the geopolitical presents geopolitical rhetoric as fraudulent, a kind of rhetorical fiction, and in turn opens a space for an empirical reality to emerge, one characterized by a series of related empirical statements. So, for example, we hear statements like, um, "The transboundary nature of the phenomenon is overstated." Most climate migrations will be internal, not transboundary. 
We hear things like, climate change is never the exclusive catalyst of migration, since so many other variables are weighed in migration decisions. We hear things like, climate change-induced mig migration is a complex and emergent phenomenon, rather than linear and deterministic. We hear things like, more empirical research is required in order to fully comprehend the problem, and so forth. Now, once these empirical statements are made, the liberal critique then unfolds as a series of related normative statements. So we hear things like, migration should be construed not as a failure to adapt, but as a legitimate form of adaptation. We hear things like, since migration is inevitable, under conditions of climate change, we should focus our policy efforts on managing migration through, for instance, better, the, the introduction application of better law, or we should manage the problem through various adaptation measures. So that's the general contours of this liberal critique. Um, now, what is important to me about this critique is not so much its veracity, that is, its truth. Um, I'm entirely sympathetic to efforts that would reconfigure the problematic away from any kind of friend-enemy ontology from this kind of geopolitical reasoning. I'm not an empiricist, so I can't make any claims about the veracity of these statements. Rather, what is significant about the liberal critique is that it remains blind to the power relations at stake in its very configuration. So it reclaims the phenomenon from the of climate change and migration from the language of militarism, and thus obtains a kind of innocence. It expresses an ethic of compassion. It expresses a desire to assist all things which are you know, very attractive sorts of ideals. But in doing so, the liberal critic disavows his or her own, his or her own implication in producing and delimiting the very phenomenon that he or she seeks to explain. In other words, the liberal critique presupposes the phenomenon of climate change-induced migration as an empirical reality. Whereas there's good reason to suggest that neither the phenomenon of climate change-induced migration nor the figure of the climate change migrant pre-exist their status as objects of knowledge or analysis. Rather, and this is my view, both are called into being in the very moment the liberal critic enumerates them into political discourse. And in this sense, the liberal critique works as a kind of performative. That is, it produces a set of meanings through which the phenomenon of climate change and migration comes to make sense to us. Now, I don't, I don't want to get stuck on or belabor this theoretical point, as important as it is. Um, instead, I want to return to and just quickly reflect on my opening question. What does it mean to adopt a critical approach to climate change and migration? Well, from my perspective, it means a few things. First, it means taking a critical approach would entail holding the question of, of the objectivity of climate change-induced migration as a geohistorical phenomenon in question. And instead, it would entail examining the kinds of identifications and meanings that are produced by and within climate change migration as a social discourse. In other words, I'm, I think the critique should be, or my critique is, um, one of the social discourse, not of the phenomenon. Yeah? Although, theoretically, I think it's difficult to, dis to actually distinguish between the two. 
And second, uh, my starting point for such a cr uh, critical approach would begin with the liberal cr critique that I've just described, this distancing or disaffiliation from the migrant as threat thesis. Why? Why would this be my starting point? Well, mainly because the discourse on climate change and migration is unfolding primarily as a liberal discourse. And by this, I mean it is a discourse, discourse that expresses all manner of liberal values. The migrant as rights-bearing, the migrant as economic potential. That comes out really clearly in the Foresight Report. The linking of justice, humanitarianism, and adaptation. The implicit emphasis on tolerance and accommodation of the migrants' mobilities and so on. Now again, these are all, of course, quite desirable, desirable values, and certainly they enumerate the migrant in ways more favorable than the defensive militarized uh, framing would. However, for myself, what is significant about climate change and migration as a liberal discourse are precisely the kinds of meanings and identifications it produces. And so it's to some of these that I want to focus on for the remainder of this not quite paper, not quite random set collection of thoughts. Um, in particular, I want to discuss with you um, the discourse, I'm sorry, I want to discuss with you how the discourse on climate change and migration is racialized. So why racialization as a concept? Well, first, the so-called climate change migrant is routinely figured visually as brown and feminized. Starting with the pervasive <clears throat> starting with the pervasive media images in circulation following Hurricane Katrina to just about every image um, that one can find on the issue. Um, to me, this is so. These are just an example of some of the images that I just pulled out of some of the more high-profile texts that have, policy texts that have produced that have been produced in the last three years um, since I started looking at this issue. And they're all, you know, more or less, um, you know, picture individuals who are brown and feminized in some way. Um, I think this image is particularly striking, although you can't see it particularly well in the way that I've copied it out, but. Um, it's a, a veiled Muslim woman, and of course there's a tremendous amount of symbolic value um, that attaches to that kind of body. Um, and positioned in this text, uh, I think it's quite interesting. This is the Center for American Progress text that um, draws some very casual linkages between climate change, migration, conflict, and Islamic fundamentalism. So to me, this is significant, and I think it should alert us to the presence of race as a key organizing principle in climate change and migration discourse. Before I continue, though, um, I need to be very clear that in, that in identifying race this way, I'm not arguing that race as a, as a concept is a feature of one's identity that can be read off the body. Race is not reducible to skin. It's not reducible to phenotype, and this is the kind of um, critique that's very common across critical race theory. Yes, the notion that race is a social construction. It is simply to say that the label climate change migrant applies more readily to some bodies than to others. And I think just this very casual observation should alert us to, to the fact that there's something um, about this discourse um, that would entail some kind of race analysis. 
The second reason racialization is, is, an important, is important concerns the way that the climate change migrant is routinely pictured in the, uh, pictured in the language of threat. Uh, I should say the way it's routinely written in the language of threat. We see this use of the migrant most vividly in climate security narratives. So we see, for instance, that the migrant will instigate or catalyze uh, political violence and so on. But traces of this framing are also evident in liberal discourses on climate change and migration, which advocate variations on managed migrations as a means for avoiding um, you know, the chaos and the violence that is often associated with unmanaged migrations. Now, this notion of threat, I think, is very important to the racialization of the discourse on climate change and migration because, as David Thiel Goldberg, who's um, a highly regarded, um, widely read critical race theorist based in the U.S. and California, uh, has argued, quote, in designating difference, race carries with it, sooner or later, the suggestion of threat. In other words, for Goldberg, threatening bodies are marks of racial difference. They threaten to undermine the fantasy of a social order imagined to be either unified or homogeneous or both. Okay, so a quick statement. Um, I want to be very clear that in talking about this notion of racialization that I am not talking about racism. At least these two things are very, very different. I'll, t I'll speak to this notion of racialization and what it is in just a second. Um, racism is an ideological belief system that is um, deployed specifically to confer advantage to some groups over others. Yes, it is precisely about, it's a belief system that is precisely about discriminating against people um, on the basis of either what are perceived to be biological differences or cultural differences. And I'm emphatically not engaging with the question of racism um, in the work that I'm doing, at least not yet. Um, okay, so a second question, what is racialization? Very, I don't want to spend too much time on this notion because it's, it's highly contested and it's um, subject to all sorts of you know, interpretations and so on. But essentially racialization comes down to this. It's, it's a process by which bodies come to adopt the characteristics of race. That is, it's a process by which skin or phenotype or culture um, comes to mean something beyond itself, yes? Skin comes to mean something more than simply skin. Now that's kind of the standard um, take on racialization. Um, my thinking on racialization right now, and I think this whole milieu of climate change and migration discourse is bringing me to a different conceptualization of racialization, but my thinking on it right now is um, that, that it is a process that is about um, establishing degrees of difference from a standard idealized um, sort of normal body, what often gets referred to as, as the white body, whiteness, in other words. So a good example of this is that if whiteness is akin to the rational, um, racial difference is not the absolute difference from that ideal. It's not that racial difference is irrational, but it, but it comes to represent a degree of difference from the rational. So it, in other words, it's 
quasi-the racialized body is the quasi-rational body, not the irrational body. One who's a body whose rationality is somewhat suspect, um, and so on. <clears throat> I'm going to start speaking about racialization differently as I work through this uh, not quite paper. Um, okay, so if designating the climate change migrant uh, as brown, feminized, and threatening alerts us to the racialization of the discourse, then how is the figure of the climate change migrant racialized? Uh, well, right now I'm working with the idea that the climate change migrant is racialized through a number of interrelated motifs or tropes. And there, there are two in particular that I want to discuss with you today. The trope of ambiguity and the trope of the loss of political status. The first concerns the way the climate change migrant is produced as an ambiguous figure. The second concerns how the climate change migrant is produced through the absence or loss of political status. And I'll address each of those in turn. The figure of the climate change migrant is racialized through the language of ambiguity in two ways. The figure is both incalculable, it cannot be calculated, and it is indeterminate. Concerning its incalculability, we know, for instance, that there's no quantitative certainty regarding the number of migrants we can expect under conditions of climate change. Numeric speculations are wide-ranging, and we can put that down to all manner of different reasons. There's no agreed definitions, there are, um, you know, there's poor data, and so on and so forth. Um, this, character, this characteristic of the migrant, that is, its incalculability, I think is paralleled in the Foresight Report, which argues that um, future migrations under conditions of climate change themselves will be uncertain. In other words, there's no way to predict who will move or where um, with any degree of accuracy, yes? Some people will mi migrate in predictable ways, whereas others won't and will instead move to areas of high risk, do, doing precisely the opposite of what one would expect. These observations are captured in the Foresight Report's emphasis on the complexity and the non-linearity of the phenomenon. What this means is that the climate change migrant is fundamentally an uncertain and incalculable, incalculable figure. It represents the excess of calculation, that which exceeds calculation, now, it is, now, this is actually a very unique feature, I think, of liberal framings of climate change and migration discourse. Um, conventional security framings are far more linear, far more deterministic. So partly this liberal narrative um, is framed, frames the migrant as complex, nonlinear, indeterminate, uncertain, and so on. This trope of ambiguity is also found in some of the foundational reasoning that accompanies liberal narratives on climate change and migration. And here I have in mind the recurring statement, which is that it is impossible to assign causality to climate change or indeed any other environmental variable as a driver of migration, since so many other variables also factor into migration decisions. So for example, vulnerability is historically produced which means that if climate change migration is an expression of vulnerability, then migration is also an expression of one's history. The important point here is that the climate change migrant is an indeterminate figure. 
Is it climate change that determines the migrant's mobility? Or is it history? Well, we're told that it's a combination of both. So we can't you know, uh, disaggregate those factors. The liberal narrative tells us that we, that we can never know. We can never make this once and for all determination. And so as a result, the climate change migrant is constructed, uh, constructed as a complex, indeterminate figure. So in the, in the liberal narrative, the migrant appears as both incalculable and indeterminate, which is another way of saying that the migrant is uncertain and unknowable. It represents the excess of reason. It's an evasive figure that cannot be wrestled into rational calculation. And it is precisely this characteristic, I would argue, which racializes the migrant. This is a figure that cannot be assimilated, at least not fully assimilated. And instead, it threatens social order by virtue of its inherent unpredictability, by virtue of its excess of political categorization or any form of categorization. Okay, so the second racializing trope um, concerns the, this loss of political status. This racializing trope ap applies to instances where migrations are said or anticipated to be uh, transboundary. So for example, the relocation of the inhabitants of Smile Island developing states, or instances when a, migra when, when a migration pathway entails crossing an international boundary. Although, as I was writing that, I, another idea came to mind, which is that there may also be instances when internal migration uh, may also precipitate a change in one's political status. That came to me as a revelation. It's probably not to you, because you may work with some of these ideas more closely. Um, but the idea that I had was um, this notion of um, you know, the indigenous person whose identity as indigenous, whose legal identity, I'm thinking in the Canadian context, as First Nations is immediately tied to their territorial location on reserve. Their identity as First Nation is linked to a place. As soon as they move from that place or live elsewhere, that status changes. So it's that kind of idea that I'm, that I'm working with on this, which I think can apply uh, to this case. The loss of political status is especially pertinent to conceptualizing the racialization of the climate change migrant insofar as it sets the migrant at a distance from the category of political citizenship. Through the loss of political status, the migrant enters the category of non-citizen, and in this way becomes figured as an abnormality, a figure out of place in the otherwise normal workings of politics a figure that necessitates a suite of technologies that are designed to manage, govern, and control it. Being placed in reserve is just one of those technologies. Thus, designated by the loss of political status, the figure of the climate change migrant is racialized by having been cast as the excess of political categorization, and as such, a potential disruption to already constituted forms of political order. And so I think we could point to the uncertain legal status of the climate change migrant or the climate refugee or the environmentally induced migrant or whatever term it is that we're using as a specific instantiation of the figure's political excess. The fact that we cannot place a label on the figure in legal language, um, in language, um, 
suggests that it is uh, this figure of the excess, that it represents this notion of um, the excess of political order. Now, common across both racializing motifs, that is, the trope of ambiguity and the loss of political status, is this notion of the migrant as an uncertain figure and the embodiment of, of excess and the unknown. However, and this I think is really important, another very important and common feature of climate change and migration discourse concerns the way the discourse is almost exclusively written in the future conditional tense. Almost without exception, the problematic of climate change and migration is framed as something that will occur in the future. Going back to the uh, UN report from 1985, which establishes the term climate refugees, that's the common genealogy and policy discourse, um, the future conditional is used. And it's present all the way through the narrating of that phenomenon until now. And it continues to be efforts to, well, let me just continue. Um, <clears throat> moreover, any attempt to specify the issue in the present tense is confounded by the sheer impossibility of isolating climate change as a driver of migration. And so the result, I think, is that the climate change is that climate change and migration is inevitably written as a future conditional phenomenon. And this means that the figure of the climate change migrant also, also bears the mark of future conditionality. Thus, the migrant's excess, its unknowability, is perhaps best understood not as an objective condition, but as a future potential. The potential climate change migrant may become the figure of excess. And here I think we find a very unusual form of racialization. One in which the other, the racialized other, is racialized not for what it is perceived to lack, Lack is often how we conceptualize racial difference. They lack reason, or uh, they lack common sense, or something like this. They lack the capacity to act accordingly. Um, rather, the climate change migrant is um, racialized for its capacity, for its potential to enter into this zone of indistinction. <clears throat> Right, okay, so just a couple of notes in the margin. Race is, in this case, in the, so what I'm suggesting then is that race is not biological, it's not cultural. What I'm suggesting is the idea of race as potential. What a body can become. Um, and potential that lies outside the body, not, not dormant inner potential as you would find in sort of, you know, liberal subjectivities. The liberal subject is almost as a requirement of being liberal. Uh, meant to maximize one's potential. But in that case, potential is internal to the body. I think this kind of potential is, is outside the body. Not race as what a body is, but what a body might become. Now, I, I want to finish um, by thinking through the implications this future conditional mode of racialization has for conceptualizing what I think is at stake in limit, liberal normative discourses on climate change and migration. And, by, and here, by liberal normative, I'm referring to discourses on climate change and migration that seek to gain distance from the geopolitical narrative I mentioned earlier. So discourses that frame the migrant as a positive adaptation response 
discourses that seek to manage rather than prevent climate change-induced migration, discourses that frame the migrant in benign rather than catalytic terms. What I'd like to suggest is that at stake in the liberal formulation is what I'm referring to these days as the preemption of race, where race is potential. So let me just explain uh, in closing what I mean by this. Although we might be tempted to conflate uh, prevention and preemption, the Canadian cultural theorist Brian Masumi distinguishes between these two terms. Prevention, he says, acts on knowability. It acts on a known threat. So for instance, one takes preventative measures against a known enemy. Or, for instance, one may seek to prevent the migrations associated with climate change. And that might be the kind of reasoning you would find in a geopolitical type logic a defensive, preventive um, kind of reasoning. That is in contrast to the liberal narrative, and here I'm thinking particularly the Foresight Report, which argues very explicitly that prevention is not a no-risk option. <clears throat> so it's explicitly um, distan dis distancing itself from the notion of prevention. Um, I, 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 I'm not I don't think that was intentional. Perhaps it was. I have no idea. I'm not trying to make a, um, a judgment claim about the authors of that report at all. I'm just pointing this out. I think a similar kind of refusal of prevention is also at stake in Gregory White's concern about framing climate change-induced migration as a border problem. So we must prevent it before it becomes a border problem. For Masumi, Brian Masumi though, preemption is quite different from prevention. Preemption, he says, acts on uncertainty. It acts on unknown threats. Threats that cannot be predicted ahead of time. So for instance, Rumsfeld's um, unknown unknowns, acts of terrorism, viral outbreaks, and so on. Now I would argue that in the, limit, in the liberal normative discourses, uh, the figure of the climate change migrant is, a, is another such unknown unknown. And indeed, Gregory White has argued exactly this, quote, the intricate interrelationship of climate oscill climatic oscillations with human migratory oscillations might actually fall into Rumsfeld's third category, end quote. So we have some sense that climate change will affect already existing migratory patterns <clears throat> but we have no clear sense as to how or even when. The Foresight Report suggests something quite similar. Migration under conditions of global environmental change is nonlinear. It's not amenable to any kind of predictive logic. And so, not surprisingly, um, this view is echoed by Richard Black, Dominic uh, Nibitin, and Kirsten Schmidt-Verkirk, uh, who have suggested that climate change-induced migration is an emergent phenomenon, which I take to mean a phenomenon that cannot be predicted, one that has no foreseeable endpoint. Under conditions of climate change, migration is not a one-off event, but a permanent uh, potential of the condition, the costs and consequences of which can never be fully known, but which could be quite dramatic. 
And so the question then arises, well, if that's the case, how does one preempt these costs and consequences? How does one preempt the unknown threat? According to the liberal narrative, preemption entails permitting, not preventing or restricting migration. <clears throat> Although what is argued for in the liberal formulation is a managed form of migration, one that welcomes migration, but one that manages migration in order to reduce the likelihood of problematic displacement. So it's this liberal formulation that is about um, encouraging the circulation of migrants precisely with a view to um, uh, <clears throat> preempting the kinds of um, uncertain catastrophic um, sort of mobilities that often um, get invoked and so on. Now, just one final point before I conclude. And that is that if the liberal narrative on climate change-induced migration advocates a managed or a controlled form of migration as a means for preempting the uncertain effects of climate change on migration, then my contention is that at stake in the liberal narrative is the preemption of race. The preemption of a situation in which bodies increasingly occupy the space of ambiguity or the zone of indistinction or a situation in which bodies increasingly come to exceed political categorization. <clears throat> so, in other words, um, if in the context of climate change and migration discourse, race emerges not as a fixed, if socially constructed, attribute or essence of bodies, but if race emerges as a potential of bodies, if race is potential, then I think at stake in the liberal normative attempt to deal with the problematic is, this, is the preemption uh, of race. Again, not quite paper, not just a series of random thoughts, um, but more or less a take on where my current thinking is on this subject. Um, there you have it, and I'd love to hear from you. So, thanks. If you've enjoyed this download, you might like to listen to other podcasts of Force Migration online. www.forcemigration.org slash podcasts. <laughs>